Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Yogi Aaron, who is the author of Stop Stretching, a new yogic approach to master your body and live pain-free. He's also the creator of the revolutionary approach to yoga, applied yoga anatomy plus muscle activation, and he is the co-owner of Blue Osa Yoga Retreat and Spa in Costa Rica. Aaron, how you doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for coming on the show. And we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. (laughs) What I like to do for fun? um, I like to eat. That's my favorite activity. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm really honest. Um eating drinking wine like if i can get like a wine tasting pairing meal i am such a happy person but i'm also really into outdoors and i love to hike and and just kind of be in nature so any of those kind of two combinations like if you can do wine tasting in the outdoors in the mountains even better yeah <laughs> There we go. There we go. Would you, you say you weren't expecting that answer? Were you? <laughs> I wasn't. I really wasn't. I see on your face. <laughs> like, Whoa, where did we just go? <laughs> Would you identify yourself as a very sophisticated wine drinker? Or are you just kind of like wine across the board? Um, I, I, I mean, I kind of always joke that I'm a sommelier in, in training. Um, I don't think I'm that sophisticated, but I really enjoy, I, the older I get, the more I enjoy like tasting life. And and for me, wine is so symbolic of that. I mean, it's so symbolic of so many things, but one of them is just like, it's just a way to really taste life. And, you know, and especially like some, some certain kinds of wines, like you can find in Spain, there's history in it. And it's like, you're tasting history and some of that history goes back like hundreds of years and so from that perspective I'm a little sophisticated but at the end of the day I'm not too picky (laughs) I got you I got you there we go well I love that you are a man who knows what he wants hiking nature eating and wine (laughs) absolutely (laughs) awesome well tell us a little bit more about the life of a yogi like what does your day-to-day look like and also dive into the new yogic approach i i mean i think that yoga can be so many things for so many people for me like yoga you asked me like three questions now that nobody ever asks me so i have it's kind of stumped me a little bit all good Um, but for me yoga is the practice i mean you hear this word a lot mindfulness and and i think the word mindfulness and yoga goes hand in hand to some degree um the promise of yoga and when i say the promise of yoga i'm making a very big statement right now but the promise of yoga and, and what the teachings, I think the teachers and the sages wanted to um, pass on is that we all have a purpose in life. And here is the pathway to fulfilling and manifesting your life purpose. But I also kind of want to clarify, I think that all of the great teachers, you know, were like that. You know, you look at Buddha and what Buddha was saying, you look at Jesus Christ and what he was saying. And, and so we see this kind of similarity between all of these teachers. It's like, you know, let go of these kind of petty, earthly, like distractions, you know, um, and, and, you know, and we can see even today's world, like how quickly people get distracted by having a better house or having a bigger car or what political party you're involved with. And all of these things are like distractions that pull us away 
from being on purpose. I find myself sometimes getting distracted and, um, and I'm very conscious of it. And I go, okay, is that a distraction or is that something you really need to do? And I'm like, no, it's a distraction. And, (laughs) and so yoga is that practice. So when you say like, what does a day look like for me as a yogi, it's continuously coming back to who am I and what am I identified with? It's coming back to where am I, you know, and where I am, the answer is here. And what time is it? It's now. And so these are the things, these are some of the ways that I kind of maintain my life as yogi. And we were joking earlier about wine. Well, I wasn't joking, but um, <laughs> but but part of that is about tasting. And, and so for me, tasting things is also helps bring me into the present moment. Um, And when I'm really embodying like an experience, whether it's hiking in the mountains or tasting something, that is a way to lock me into uh, this moment. Because so many times that we're going through life and we think, oh, there's a beautiful sunrise. Oh, I need to go and capture it. And, And then it becomes like something else that becomes future driven rather than just being present with what's here. And so I constantly challenge myself to be present and and it's not easy by the way i'm i struggle with it just as much as everybody else <laughs> yeah no i got you i feel like a lot of the fruit of life is in that present moment like being present in the now and so i'm curious your thoughts on this why do you think it is so easy to escape the present when all the fruits are there like why do we leave it to go to the future or the past where we have anxiety or sadness? Which is a big question, huge question, like fundamental human nature question. It's, it's a big question. And I mean, it can, we can spend an hour at least talking about it. And, you know, I always, whenever I get asked these questions, I always go to the yoga sutras and the sutras was written by Patanjali you know, five, 2,500 years ago, more or less. And he kind of like systemized, you know, how to get, regain control, if you want to use that word, control of our mind and use the mind as a tool to liberate us. But at the same token, he recognized, like, we also have a lot of stuff in our mind we need to get rid of. And so, you know, part of the Yoga Sutras, he talks about the causes of suffering, And part of those causes is like our sense of identity. So to answer your question, it's like our identity is still locked into our history. You know, um, somebody had something great happen to them and they are locked into that thing that made them great as opposed to like, yeah, that thing happened, but this is where I am now. And now I got to do something else great (laughs) or vice versa. Like the third chapter of stop stretching is actually called who are you without your pain? Mm -hmm. And so many of us, like I've had so much direct experience with talking to people who can never get over their past pain and, and it's not like I'm trying to say it's not valid or, or diminish it in some way per se, but the pain of the past is not who you are at, at your core. And so, so as human beings, we need a sense of self. We need a sense of identity. And that sense of identity propels us to be attached to things of the past, be attached to a future that isn't here. Um to be attached to filling our lives with things that kind of reaffirm our sense of self. And so, which by the way, I'm not saying anything of these things are right or wrong. (laughs) I think that is the great thing about being human is that we can go and, and, you know, spend a lot of money on a car and feel good about it. Like, great. But there's a Buddhist teaching, by the way, which always rings in the back of my mind that, great, go buy that expensive car. But if you can't imagine yourself leaving the parking lot of the car dealership 
and that car like being completely total, like you pull out, somebody smashes it. You don't even have insurance on it at this point. It just got it. And if if that causes you suffering, then it's better not to get the car. <laughs> like if you're so attached, if, if all of your happiness and sense of self is so much in that one thing, that if that thing was gone and it caused you suffering, then it's better not to get that thing. So our sense of self needs to be constantly addressed, you know, and, and one of the teachings of a great saint of the last century, his name was Ramana Krishna. He said, gave us this kind of like contemplation, which was, who am I? And if we can start to go through that life with that question, who am I? And every time, but here's the catch 22. Every time you come to an answer, ask the question again, because <laughs> you haven't really arrived at the answer. Yeah. So like you can say, who am I? Well, I am a lawyer. Okay, we'll ask it again. Who am I? Well, I'm a very analytical person. Well, you can keep going deeper and deeper. I'm a father, go deeper. I'm a lover, go deeper, you know, and yeah. and until you really get to the source. I love that. Thanks for that deep dive into human nature for us. <laughs> <laughs> but you asked me a question earlier. I didn't quite answer it. And that was like, how did I get to a Yama applied yoga anatomy and muscle activation? And it really kind of came out of my own sort of pain journey, if you will, like my physical pain journey that I, um, I've been doing yoga. When I say yoga right now, I'm really talking about stretching. So I was, I started yoga to stretch. I started yoga to become more flexible. And then I, I quickly started hurting myself. And so a lot of my yoga teachers said, well, you're hurting yourself because your hamstrings are too tight or your lower back needs to open up more. And so I would throw myself and I'm very disciplined for the most part. And I threw myself like deep into this practice and it took me 25 years to figure out that it was the actual stretching that was hurting me. And, um, and cause I made it part of my daily practice. Like I would do these deep, uh, long stretches and, and, you know, I always felt good when I did them, you know, there's definitely like this physiological, um, effect that happens in our in our parasympathetic nervous system and our rest and digest state like that that brings us into that place um but i really ended up hurting myself so bad that i ended up in a surgeon's office and he was telling me that i might need a spinal fusion in my lower back because I just didn't have any stability. I just didn't have like anything holding my vertebrae together. And, uh, and that kind of led me down this journey of muscle activation. And um, I started to see like, okay, well, how can I combine this into the world of yoga? And so that's, that's how I, I got into applied yoga anatomy and muscle activation. Okay. Well, you can't stop there now because I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so, so tell us more about the specifics of applied yoga anatomy and muscle activation. What exactly are you pairing? Like if somebody were to start doing this right now, and I'm sure it's in your book. So yes. you guys are listening to this and you're interested in this. Make sure to go get his book. The link will be down in the show notes, but take us a little bit deeper into it. Yeah, sure. So first, the first and foremost, if someone's going to practice, so apply yoga anatomy and muscle activation, the acronym is Ayama. And, um, and interestingly enough, in Sanskrit, the word Ayama means like, it means a couple of things. It means freedom or liberation. So you become liberated. Um, and But it also means um, unrestrained. And so that within all of us, there's an unrestrained force and Ayama is about releasing it or unleashing it, if you will. And in part of the way to do that, because I'm what my life, I, what I like to think my life is about is helping others to manifest and live their life purpose. And so it's about releasing that, but it's hard to do that when we're in pain and 
And as I, as I got over, as I've been healing, this is about five years ago now, as I've been healing from my own pain, in, pain journey and getting stronger and stronger and starting to get back to doing things that I love, I'm realizing more and more that how many people are living in pain and that pain debilitates us. So one of the very first principles of a yama, there, a yama has a few principles, but one of them is to stop stretching. And we could spend an hour just talking about that. But the whole idea of when we stretch, what we're doing is we're disconnecting the brain from the muscles. So everything that I teach um, from in the yama world is really working at a neuromuscular level. So when we, you know, the brain is connected to a muscle and when we stretch that muscle, the brain loses that connection. It loses, the biomechanical term is proprioception. So that proprioception is no longer there. And so if you're going to like stretch a muscle, like a lot of bodybuilders, you look like a really fit kind of guy <laughs> and you probably go to the gym and you probably do your shoulder stretches and, you know, all of those things because you were told you should, but what you're really doing is starting to shut down all the muscles in your shoulders. And so then you go and pick up some weights and your shoulder muscles that should be doing the work should be having like carrying that load is no longer connected to your brain. So there's no accountability in those muscles. So a better way to activate or a better kind of pre-warm up, um, if you're gonna do like say for example, shoulder stuff, is to do something that's going to actually activate the muscles, specifically the traps and the pecs and the serratus anterior. So those, those are the kind of things that you wanna do. So number one, stop stretching. Number two, um, start activating. And so like, look for ways that we can actually activate muscles. And so that kind of leads us into one of the principles of a yama is that we need to respect proper muscle function. And proper muscle function means to look at what is a, what is the job of a muscle? Well, the job of a muscle is to shorten so that it can do two things. One, to move bones. So that's how you move. If you're lifting weights, the you've, it's your muscles that are moving the bones to lift those weights. And then the second job is to hold the joints in place. And so we, if the muscles are not contracting properly, then the joints are just sitting there with no stability. They're kind of just like hanging out there, if you will. And you see a lot of people, especially a lot of kind of like flexible people or people that do a lot of stretching, they stretch, it feels good, but then they, the pain quickly comes back. Well, the pain is always the symptom of like instability. So when there's no stability, like in a joint, um, the body starts to develop pain in those areas and pain is actually inflammation. The interesting thing is once you start to get the muscles working at that joint properly, the inflammation often disappears like almost on a dime. It happens very, 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 very quickly. So in the third idea of a yama is that <clears throat> whenever we're doing something to kind of like look at what is what muscles are involved and then start to strengthen those muscles. So like in a typical yoga class, um, if you're doing like a forward fold and, you know, you take a guy, if you look in the gym and you see some of these kind of like, I call them biffs, stiff biffs, you know, trying to bend forward and touch their toes and they can barely, you know, get their hands past their knees. You know, some of them can't even get their hands past their thighs. Well, a yoga teacher or even a fitness instructor and maybe even a physiotherapist would come up and say, Biff, you've got tight hamstrings. We need to open those hamstrings. By the way, whenever you hear someone say we need to open a muscle, you should turn around and run, sprint the opposite direction. Because if someone says that you need to open a body part, they don't know what the <clears throat> they're talking about. <laughs> I, I beat myself, there <laughs> so, <we go. laughs> but I'm really serious about that. I mean, one of the expressions you hear a lot these days is like, oh, we need to open up our hips. Well, if you think about that biomechanically, an open hip is a dislocated hip. And I don't think that's how we want to walk through life. 
So, sure. so in, in coming back to Biff's case, like as Biff is folding forward, he can't touch his toes. From an Ayama perspective, we're not interested in the hamstrings. We're not interested in what's happening in the back. We're actually starting to look at, well, his, his abdominal muscles are not shortening properly. His thigh muscles are not shortening properly. And once we get those muscles working better and able to contract, all of a sudden now Biff can touch the floor. And I've, I've actually conducted this experiment many times on many different people, but not only has Biff increased his range of motion, if that's really important to you, um, but what is important is that he's increased his range of motion with stability, meaning that the muscles are shortening in a proper way so that when he bends forward, he's not going to hurt some other area of his body because the bones and the structure are, are supporting him. The muscles are supporting the structure in a proper way rather than him developing a range of motion without stability. Wow. That is so... So that is so by the way, that was the reader's digest version. <laughs> <laughs> I just crammed, I just crammed like a couple of weeks of training into like 10 minutes. <laughs> that was that was so epic. And what you said about muscle shortening, I didn't even think about that being a requirement to touch your toes when you go yeah. down to touch your toes. I only ever thought about the fact that my hamstrings weren't open enough or loose enough or whatever sure. people want to say that is so interesting and so but, do your hamstrings not need to be loose or open at all like do they have anything to do with range of motion well the muscle tightness is always a sign of muscle weakness and so the body when it doesn't feel stable it's going to tighten up so in this case like you know you look at where the hamstrings are connected to well they're connected to the the hip structure, I mean, through the ischial tuberosity, they also um, hold the knees in place. And so if the thighs aren't doing their job, then the hamstrings are going to start tightening up. So they're reciprocal muscles. And one of the most fascinating things to me in the fitness world and in yoga world, but more the fitness world, quite frankly, and, and even in the medical world, you're starting to see this kind of like forgetfulness is one of the primary rules of muscles is like, there's always a reciprocation in muscles. There's always an agonist and an antagonist. Meaning like if I bring my hand, if I stretch my arm out and bring my hand to my shoulder, the bicep has to shorten. And as the bicep shortens, the opposite muscle, which is the, the tricep, will start to lengthen properly. And so you see like these big kind of meathead bodybuilder guys that, you know, their arms are continuously flexed. Well, part of that reason why their arms are continuously flexed is not because necessarily their biceps are quote unquote tight per se. Um, it's because their triceps are not contracting properly. They've, you know, and, and you can say, well, maybe they've overworked their biceps or something. But the fact of the matter is, is that their triceps are not able to shorten and extend the arm. And so what a lot of these guys end up doing is trying to stretch things out, stretch their, their pecs out. Well, as you stretch your pecs out, if you start to stretch a muscle, not only does it debilitate that muscle. So if we're talking about pecs right now, you start to overstretch the pec muscles or stretch them at all. It's going to have a negative reciprocal effect on the opposite muscle. In this case, which we're looking at the rhomboids and the tra uh, trapezius muscle, um, and even in the delts, all of those muscles start shutting down. And they just disconnect from the brain. So if you if your pecs are tight, the wrong thing to do is to try and stretch them. The right thing to do is to start doing some muscle activation that is focused on maybe the posterior delts, the trapezius uh, muscle, and maybe the rhomboids. Start getting those muscles working properly. And all of a sudden now, you'll find like, oh my God, I've got this freedom in my chest. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so like i have this hamstring i have actually about four or five hamstring videos right now on my youtube channel and one of them is like okay just test your range of motion so we start off the video by like you just 
with your arms out to the sides, just bring your leg up as far as you can. Okay, then I take you through like these different muscle activations for the quads. And, and then all of a sudden you bring your leg up and you've got freedom of movement. Mm -hmm. um, and it happens like, it happens like that. Like your range of motion just improves. Um, one of the questions that I often get asked is like, well, how long does that range of motion stay there? How long does that quote unquote uh, quad stay active and the hamstring, you know, loosens up for lack of better words right now. And it really just depends on like what you, what you're doing in your life. It depends on how much past trauma you've had. Um, for me, I didn't really start properly activating my quads until I was around 47, 48. And so I spent the previous 46 odd years, like completely abusing my body um, through various things, stretching, of course, being at the top of them. And so my tightness kind of resurfaces again. But the interesting thing is like, I have much more mobility now than I've ever had. Like I was telling you, like, I love being in the outdoors and hiking. At 30, I had to actually hang my hiking shoes up um, by the time I turned 30. And so, but when I started getting into this stuff, I actually thought, well, maybe I'll go try hiking again. And so now I, I'm back hiking and I'm 51 years old. So it is possible to get stronger um, and you have to keep up with like, keep the, keep the brain connected to uh, the muscles because that connection between the brain and the muscles stretching is one thing that can cause problems, but also stress, trauma and overuse. So if you look at like, you know, Stress can be emotional, it can be physical, we can overtrain in different areas, we push our bodies like a race car driver pushes their car when they're racing, you know, and we don't actually stop to fix our bodies, where as a race car driver, you know, continuously retunes the car, we never really retune our body. So it's really important for us to retune our bodies at a neurological or rather near a muscular level, like make sure that those connections are strong and that they actually are starting to get stronger over time. Mm. I feel like I've <laughs> learned so much in the past 20 minutes. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna ask you kind of a personal question regarding me and then we're gonna move through the questions because we don't wanna run out of time before we get through, sure. the, through this stuff. So I feel like, I'll have my my lower left back will hurt, right? Yes. And just randomly throughout the day. Like not when I do a motion, it doesn't like even if it's like a nagging pain, I can squat, I can move around, everything's fine, but it's just a pain that I feel in my lower back and it'll shoot down my hamstring to like my toe. And so I'm just yeah. like if if you were talking to me as you are now, what would you say to somebody in my shoes who has that lower back pain, shoots down their hamstring to their toe, kind of the whole left side of their body? Well, I'm going to ask you a personal question first. How young are you at this moment? I'm 23. So you're really lucky that you're kind of noticing this now on one hand, because you can start to do corrective exercises and things for it. Um, what I'm probably, and, and this would need to be fact-checked by an X-ray, but probably you have a herniated disc that's pressing into a nerve. Okay. And when, as soon as you said, I have pain shooting down my leg, like that was like a good clue that you might have a herniated disc, a disc that's pressing into a nerve and it's on probably on the left side because you just said the left side of your lower back and that's pressing in there. So one of the things that we need to do is to start um, fixing that. And I have on my YouTube channel, there's like a couple of videos about herniated discs and I'm actually putting out a few more things. So one of the things that you want to do is make sure you're doing practices to create extension in your lower back. So I don't know how much you sit in the day or sit in a chair, but you're probably sitting in the chair with your lower back sticking out. You know, if you round your shoulders and round your upper back, you'll notice that your lower back will start to flex. 
which is not a bad thing. But if you're doing that for a long period of time, that can start to exacerbate um, this kind of disc herniation, if you will. So that's the first thing to do is to start doing more kind of like extension exercise. One of my favorite extensions is like Cobra pose. So we do, we see in yoga, like people doing Cobra pose, you want to start getting that curve back into your lower back. And then the second thing is that we want to start strengthening those muscles. So as I said earlier, the muscles do two things. They move bones and they hold the joints in place. So the joints in this case is your lower back, like all the muscles, sorry, all the vertebrae of your spine. And right now the vertebrae is becoming compromised because the muscles aren't holding the vertebrae uh, together. So you definitely want to start doing strengthening exercise. There's a couple that you can do. Um, one of my favorite ones is um, one to strengthen a muscle called the multifidus, which literally holds the vertebrae in place. Like if you look at a um, anatomy chart, you'll actually see the multifidus weave through the vertebrae. So you want to get that muscle strong. And then another muscle you want to get strong is like a muscle called longissimus. And you can do that just simply by um, lift, lying on the floor. It's actually my number one exercise. I always tell people, do this every single day. <laughs> and so you want to lie on the floor and then you want to lift your legs and lift your chest up as high as you can. And you'll feel this big muscle in your lower back engage that's called the longissimus. And it literally holds the structure of your lower back um, in place. So that's, that's another one. And then another key muscle to look at is the psoas. And the psoas, so we talked about like that curve of the lower back. And so this hernia disc herniation is also being caused because your back is in constant uh, flexion. But what the psoas actually does is hold that lordotic curve, hold that C curve in place. And so that's not working properly. That's also going to cause problems in the lower back. And there's other things that you can do, but those are the top three uh, things to do is like get the C curve back doing Cobra pose or, or something like that. Um, number two, strengthen your multifidus, strengthen your longissimus. And then number three, strengthen your psoas muscle. So it's a good thing you got this recorded. You can go back and listen to it. <laughs> exactly. I'll be listening to this. I'll be on your YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's good. Like, you know, it, it, I wish I had a teacher like me when I was in my 20s because I wouldn't probably have like all the problems I have. And, you know, when you're younger, your recovery time is really fast. You know, you can get away with so much stuff. And then a lot of people think like, well, gymnasts, they need to increase their range of motion. They go to stretching camps and this sort of thing. And, and the good coaches won't allow their gymnasts to stretch. If they really know what they're doing, they won't allow them to stretch because, you know, you see all of these gymnasts by the age of 22, 23, even at 20 years old, but you look at Simone Biles and, and sort of the challenges that she was facing. She was, I think she was 26 when she was um, at that Olympic. And so you look at these athletes, they get burnt out really fast. And by 30, so many of them are getting shoulder replacement, knee replacement, hip, re you know, hip surgery, all of these different kinds of surgeries. So we can't look to gymnasts as sort of the bar of how we want to be when we're 50 and 60. Because yeah. <laughs> so many of those people are a mess and 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 spend so much of their life afterwards after that intense like competition. They spend so much of their time in rehab uh, for the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That makes so much sense. Well, awesome. Thank you for that wealth of knowledge. We're going to kind of shine the light back on you here a little bit, but give you a, uh, you kind of went deep dive. We're going to give you a chance to broaden out now. Tell us about your okay. dreams and goals. What's your vision for your life, your book, your kind of movement and your practice? I think what's motivating me right now, like, 
if I go back through my life, I realize that I'm a trailblazer and I really thrive in that place of questioning, you know, systems. And, and I, I think sometimes there's a place to question and there's a place not to, but that's a whole other discussion. But I do think that this whole paradigm around our bodies needs to be constantly uh, revised and renewed and rethought about. And so many, you know, there was a time in, in human history when we thought the earth was flat. And um, and then, you know, there's people that said, no, it actually isn't. And then they were burned at the stake or the, the Catholic church sends, sent the inquisition after them. Um, and, and I kind of feel like this is kind of like one of those moments and it's obviously it's not as big as the, is the earth flat or around, but it is like in the yoga world, stretching is so much a part of, of our languaging. And so what really drives me is kind of reclaiming what yoga is about first and foremost, which is about the opening up the doorway to manifesting and living our life purpose and somehow the words stretching and, and flexibility have hijacked yoga. And even like the most prominent yoga teachers that are, are out there today um, take a lot of umbrage with people like me who turn around and say, you shouldn't stretch. Stretching is actually bad for you because it comes back to that sense of ego. Like, who am I if I don't have this stretching? So it's I kind of want to, I really want to get the conversation started, even, even if people don't like it. I, I just, I want people to be able to start thinking about what the words they're using and does this make sense? Like opening up the hips, like you hear so many yoga teachers, literally, this is not being glib, um, have so many different workshops on opening the hips, like open your hips like never before, or open your hips, like you know, for the rest of your life, like like workshop titles like this. And and it just doesn't make sense. And so I'm really trying to challenge the yoga world. Hey, some of what we're saying actually not only doesn't does it not make sense, but it's actually hurting people. And we need to kind of take a step back and go, okay. What is our true mission? Our true mission, this is scripturally too, is to help people get more stable. And um, and so that's like, for me, when I started seeing a lot of people becoming pain-free from these practices, that also motivates me a lot as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So we got Get Yoga Back to his kind of original intent of helping people live into their life purpose and just starting the conversation, blazing that trail, if you yes. will. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, what are the top one to two skills that you need to develop right now to better position yourself to blaze that trail? One of the top skills? Um, if any. Maybe I you got them. Well... I would say communication, I think right now is like, I really thrive in that place of pushing buttons. And in my life, I think I learned how to push people's buttons in a, not in a helpful way, in sort of a way that pushed people away rather than pull people in towards me. And so as I'm, I, you know, since right around the age of 46, 47, I started to realize like, maybe I need to develop different communication skills. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been like really working on that in earnest to see how can I draw people in rather than pushing people away. So like on the, on my book cover, for example, it does say stop stretching, but there's also a picture of, you know, it, it's a cartoon uh, drawing of me standing on in, in tree pose on the beach with my dogs and my cats you know, so it's like, it's like, yeah, stop stretching, but let's also have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> have you ever read how to win friends and influence people? How to. You said it right. Yep. Yeah. yeah that, that's the book, right? By I'm trying to actually pull his name out. Dale Carnegie. I haven't read that book, but everybody around me has, um, but I, I've definitely heard about it. I mean, it was one of the most popular books um, that came out. 
um, just before the whole new age movement started. So I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a good one. It helps with some of that. Um, it helped me a lot because I was very, I was so like emotionally like stupid <laughs> when I was 16, 17 and 18. I was, I just, cause I had, I was really apathetic. So I didn't really care about other people and what other people thought or how they felt. And so when I would communicate with them, I would just kind of tell them how it is. I would interrupt them if I needed, if they were like wasting my time talking to me, I would interrupt them and be like, this conversation's over type of vibe. <laughs> then I read that book and I was like, Oh, okay. So this is how you deal with this situation. <laughs> Thank God you read that book earlier rather than waiting until you were like 60 or something like that, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> something, some, some spark, like something sparked inside of you. And, and then you read that book and, and that's like, that's one of the aspects of yoga. And, and it doesn't have to, you don't have to like do a quote unquote yoga practice, but that's what the yogi saw is like these sparks in our evolutionary process and every human has them, whether they do yoga or not. Um, but I call them in English, I call those the aha moments. Like when your whole like brain just like lights up and you just, the answers just come to you. And part of what yoga is, is like, how do we create more of those on a continuous basis rather than just like, you know, haphazardly once in once in a blue moon sort of thing. How do we get those more often so that we can awaken that inner intelligence within us? That you asked me earlier about my purpose. Like for me, as a as a yoga teacher, like seeing that like awakening in people is so addictive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, I'm not my pain or I'm not my suffering. And it's like. I am like this, this person with unlimited, infinite potential, opening myself up to the universe of limitless possibilities. Um, that's like just amazing to see that happen. I love that. I love that you said that. It's a great segue into one of the questions we usually ask at the end, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it now. Um, you kind of talked about seeing people transform, seeing people get that aha moment and the question is geared around helping people go from like a fixed mindset, not willing to accept help, not willing to accept change, to more of a growth mindset, willing to accept help, willing to accept change, realizing they're not mm, kind of limited to who they've been told they are or who they think they are, right? And the question is around how do we create an environment that helps people usher that into their life? I have an answer, but a lot of people don't like it. Ooh, I'm going to like it. So you're, I, I think what you're saying is like how we as teachers or leaders help other people, or is your question how people can help themselves? It's more how we as teachers, leaders, and peers can cultivate that environment that helps people kind of make that choice have those aha moments ushered into their life. Yeah, I mean, it's the formula I use at Blue Oso when I lead my yoga teacher training immersions. It's basic, the simple answer is stillness. Mm -hmm. You know, getting people to turn off their electronics, to become silent. Um, there's like these silent retreats and you hear about people that go on them and their life is transformed. And, and, and it wasn't because anybody was talking to them. It wasn't because they were saying anything. It's because they didn't say anything at all. They were just like introspective. Mm -hmm. And those, so in my yoga teacher training immersions, like we practice morning silence really until about eight o'clock um, every day. And the internet is shut off. So they have no, you know, no connection to the outside world, what's going on. And those moments of silence, and, and we also simultaneously need to, you know, open our hearts. And by that, what I mean is like Mother Teresa once said, God speaks and the heart listens. And so, you know, it's like we, we need to open ourselves up to grace and, but grace can't be something that's caught, you know, it's like, you can't 
just grab it and force it to you. It only descends upon you in those moments of complete nothingness, of complete stillness, of complete surrender. And, and I'm not talking about like an emotional surrender, like your bottoming out surrender. I mean, like surrender to just being still. <laughs> and that's why, like, I, I think it's an answer that a lot of people don't like because, you know, humans, but especially people these days are so like conditioned to think like we have to do, 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 but but that's not going to create the space for something to enter into our hearts. And so by being still, and it's amazing, like every single yoga teacher training immersion I do, people have questions like about their life, you know, and they come in and they're like, I just, the first day they're like, oh my God, I just hope I get the answer to my question. Like if I just get this answer to my question after 14 days or 28 days, I'll be so happy. But always by day two, day three, day four, oh my God, I can't believe I've got the answer to my question already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it happens really fast. And, um, and, and then they say, of course, they get a lot more insights that opens them up to receive even more at that point. But it really is the answer to everything is just being still. And, you know, one of the things that I, I like most people struggle because I'm so I've got my phone all the time in my hand, talking to my team, you know, thinking about um, sharing something with, you know, community, communicating with friends. And I've started more and more and more gotten into the habit now, like leaving my phone at home when I go for a walk or leaving my phone in the locker when I'm working out at the gym and just being present. And it's amazing to me, like sometimes an idea will drop in so deeply that I know I have to run back to the locker to, to write down that idea because <laughs> it's going to be gone. But I, as soon as I let go of my busyness, that is like the moment stuff just starts to enter like great ideas and, um, and, and spirit those that that's the moment that spirit comes. I love it. I love when I am talking to somebody or reading a book and I get a new piece of information that makes me reinterpret, um, kind of some foundational concepts in my life. And I really love going to the Bible to like learn stuff, learn how to love, learn a lot of stuff. And that one scripture that's like, be still, know that I'm God. It's like, yeah. that's talking to you right now is maybe the second time that I've been. I really think it's the first, but it might be the second because I might have this on a, another podcast episode where that stillness was like, no, actually be still <laughs> and know that I'm God. And then yeah. that like knowledge comes in a unique way when you're still and you open up your heart to it. So I really like that a lot. Thank you for sharing it. Well, and, and you even look at the Gospels and what Jesus taught. And he said, you know, I always kind of say like spiritual leaders say the same thing. Buddha said, close your eyes and meditate. Jesus said, close your eyes, bring your hands together and pray. And really what he was saying is bring your attention to your heart center and there you will find heaven. And that, but he also said, do it in the place of stillness, go to a place that is private, that is sacred, and there commune with your heavenly father who resides in the, in, in your heart center. And, um, and, and so all of these teachings are saying the same thing over and over and over. Yep. And it always comes back to stillness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, we got one last question for you and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. If there were one or two people that you can meet right now. And this could be a specific person or a type of person. And they'd really help you take that next step towards your dreams and goals. Who would that person be? And how would they help you? <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I, one of my great mentors in life is Gandhi. And I just, I, I mean, talk about someone. He actually was said to have practiced silence. He would practice silence from sat Sunday night at 6 p.m. until Monday night at 6 p.m. So every the 24 hour period, he would not talk. 
And um, I just, I just admire people that have so much um, integrity and, and clarity in, in what they're doing. And they're so principle centered. Um, Another person would be Nelson Mandela for sure. He's, I just, I look at that and I just, sometimes I get very emotional thinking about it, like 27 years in prison. You know, we hear so many people like full of their victim stories. And, and I think you're such a victim and you're so miserable. How would it be for you if you spent 27 years in prison, <laughs> you yeah. know, in a small cage, you know? And, and so I've, re- I've read his autobiography and one of the things that I kind of admire so much, again, being principle centered, that he was so clear about what his purpose was. It didn't matter where he was in the world, that his attitude was the same in prison as it was when he got out. It was to be the best version of himself. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I strive for in my, you know, most um, um what am I trying to say? Like, sometimes I feel like I'm failing a lot. So I just get, pick myself back up and then try again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I know that they're not living, but those are two people that I admire deeply. I got you. I got you. When you have those thoughts of you're feeling like you're failing, you're beating up on yourself, you're going down the rabbit hole of negativity, like all humans do. Um, sure. What, what are the things that you do, either the thoughts or the actions that you take or the thoughts you have to kind of get yourself back into control? Is it back to that stillness and silence for you? Or are there some other things you use as well? More and more, I ask myself, like, is this the person I really want to be? And another tool I use a lot is gratitude. Um, Cause I find like when I get angry at people or frustrated or something that it's because I'm not really in the present and what brings me into the present is gratitude really quickly. So that's like my go-to practice is just practicing gratitude, no matter what the situation, no matter who is beating up on you, no matter what, you know, crap life is throwing at you, you know, just thank you, you know, be like Job. Just say thank you. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> awesome. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and, and a privilege to speak with you. Of course. Yeah. Same to you. And if you guys are listening to this and you loved what Aaron had to say, make sure to check out his book. The link to it will be down in the show notes. Also hit him up, hit his YouTube video up. If you think you have a, what was it? Herniated disc. herniated discs there's a few videos for herniated or bulging discs there we go there we go and thank you guys for watching the show we will see you on the next one and on that note we're out guys thanks for listening make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them if you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals make sure to check out the website workwithtimmydouglas.com and contact me either there or on social media that's all i got have a blessed day